Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. The UFC heads to Brasilia, Brazil this weekend for Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira, an exciting lightweight showdown with top 10 implications in the 155-pound division. But as you guys know, we won't be talking about that fight or any of the fights on the main card because this is the prelim primer. Now, for those of you who are new to the show and might be wondering, why not talk about the main card? Why not talk about the fights that people are the most excited about? The answer is quite simple. The answer is because there's probably a place you already go for main card breakdowns and main event breakdowns. Plus, those tend to be the fights that you guys already have a pretty good idea about. And we're here to help you break down the fights that you, you might have no clue about. You might have no inkling on. And you probably need a little bit of help on in order to do well on your bets or on your, your daily fantasy sports. And before we get to any of that great breakdown, we do have to mention that this show is brought to you by Maroon Social. Head to MaroonSocial.com for the one and only place to track your martial arts progress. Wherever it is you download apps, head on over, grab Maroon Social, and start by setting up your profile. Okay, Your profile is going to have all the information that you could possibly need to list about yourself and your martial arts training, including what martial arts you like to train, your belt level, your name, and where you train, as well as your instructor. So once you have that all set up, you can do a whole bunch of more things that I'll be talking to you about a little bit later on in the show. But now we got to get to the show. I am joined once again by a phenomenal co-host joining me today from Bloody Elbow, Shaquille Majori. Shaquille, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me back. I'm glad I didn't uh, blow it too bad the first time. <laughs> you did not at all. So, as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about a fight that I am baffled is on the prelims, and that's Juicier Formiga versus Brandon Moreno. Formiga, 4-1 in his last five, including a win over the uncrowned champion, Davison Figueredo, and a loss to Joseph Benavidez. Moreno is 1-0-1 since he returned to the UFC with a draw against Askar Askarov in a win over Kai Kara France. This very well could be a number one contender's fight. What do you expect from this fight, and where do you expect it to take place? Isn't that so insane that this is a number one contender's fight? Like, for Formiga, let's give him his props. He lost to Benavidez, and prior to that, he's got wins over Davison and Sergio Pettis. But I think this fight really speaks to the shallowness of the UFC's men's flyweight division, because Moreno, although someone who could be a a, a, a handy card for the UFC down the line, is not ready for a step up like Formiga. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on this one, too. Like, right, like, the the appeal of Moreno, even all the way back when he was on The Ultimate Fighter, was his submission skills, right? Was, like, that he could snatch up a guillotine really quickly or that he had a good triangle choke or he works well off of his back, he sweeps well. But, like, it doesn't look like he has enough of those skills that can make him dangerous against any of the, like, wrestler types at flyweight. And really, that's what Juicy A. Formiga is, right? right? And that's what Joseph Benavidez is. And that's what, like, the killers at flyweight all can wrestle. You know, like, Henry Cejudo, before he left, could wrestle. And even Davidson Figueredo can wrestle a little bit. So, like, you're right. Brandon Moreno, this is a huge step up for him. Do you, do you just sort of expect him to get just, like, grappled to death for 15 minutes? Yeah, I, I don't see, uh, I really don't see him being able to keep up with Formiga wherever the fight takes place. I think Formiga has a strong enough advantage in the grappling department that he's just gonna have his way with Moreno. I, I'd venture to say you're gonna see a late submission, but, uh, Moreno's just gonna be looking to survive for three rounds. 
Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that one. I am going to go with a decision here for Formiga, though, because, you know, it's it's flyweight, not a ton of finishes here, and Formiga, not, you know, maybe not the most prolific finisher anyway, so uh, I'm going to go by decision. Let's go to a fight that's a little bit more uh, harder to pick, at least, and that's Randa Marcos versus Amanda Rebus. Mm-hmm. Randa Marcos, 2-1 and one in her last three. She had an armbar over Angela Hill, which I feel like people forget about. She had a decision loss to Claudia Gadelia, which is you know, certainly no shame in that, and a decision win over Ashley Yoder. Amanda Rebus, 2-0 in the UFC. She got a rear naked choke over Emily Whitmire. And then that decision over Mackenzie Dern that got the hype way up on Amanda Rebus. So here's my question for you. Rebus controlled the cage and the pace so well against Mackenzie Dern. Obviously, once again, this is a step up for her. Do you think she could do the same against Randa Marcos? Uh, I think against Randa Marcos, what you're going to see is a hard-fought decision. I'm struggling to pick a winner here, but when you get someone as crafty and resilient as Randa Marcos, there's no easy way out. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that one. What I'm really interested in seeing in this fight is just what happens when it comes to... Marcos deciding to wrestle because I totally expect this to start on the feet Marcos usually is willing to feel somebody out and decide whether or not she can box with her and I think she's going to find out pretty quickly she can't here right like this doesn't seem like a fight she can win a decision on the feet if she does try to take her down I don't know that I've seen enough of Rebus's you know takedown defense you know we saw it a little bit against Mackenzie Dern but is Mackenzie Dern a good takedown artist uh, I wouldn't say by high-level MMA standards, no. Yeah, I mean, she, she's certainly a great grappler. and she's a, Phenomenal. Yeah, player. phenomenal. You know, all the accolades you could possibly give her as far as jiu-jitsu gets concerned. But at the same time, you're right, like, not a great takedown artist. So as, at the end of the day, like, Marcos might be the best takedown artist that Rebus has faced. And is that going to be enough? I don't know, but it, it's certainly the question here. So what, what are your sort of thoughts? Are, are you thinking... You know, Marcos is able to get a takedown or two, or do you think she completely whiffs on all of them? Uh, I would expect her to have some success. I don't know how consistent it's going to be across three rounds. You know, the the Middle Eastern and the Canadian me is rooting hard for Marcos, but I wasn't super impressed in her last outing against Ashley Yoder, and uh, I think Ren has kind of reached her ceiling. So I'm going to go with Rebus just because I think she's got a lot more potential in the long run. All right, and how do you see her getting it done? Decision. There's no way you're going to get rid of Marcos easy. She is as crafty and as tough as they come. I just don't know how much better she's going to get from fight to fight at this stage of her career. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on this one, too. It just seems like you're right. It has sort of reached a ceiling, and I'm worried if she can't get her down. I do think she has a tough time on the feet here. Um, and I'm going to go with Rebus by decision, too. So we'll agree 100% on the first round, which takes us to our very first break. We'll be back with just a moment with round number two. All right, at the top of the show, we talked to you guys just real quickly about how to set up your Maroon social profile. Hopefully, you've already done that because now we're going to tell you the other great features of Maroon Social. One of my favorite ones is that you can log your training sessions. So once you're on there, you can hit the new training session button. You can talk about how long you've trained, including how long you did some drilling and how long you did some like live rolling or maybe some sparring if you're a boxer or, or a kickboxer or maybe you do taekwondo. 
Plus, on top of that, you can leave yourself notes and you can also tag different techniques that you worked on so that you can easily find them in the future and you can look at those notes so that you remember maybe some of the things that you needed to remember for the next time you trained them. There, that's an awesome function and we'll tell you about a couple more a little bit later on in the show. But for now, let's head back for round number two. And we are back with round number two. Gonna put another five minutes on the clock. And we're gonna start this round by talking about Haniyeya versus Enrique Barzola. Haniyeya just had a three fight submission streak, never mind win streak, snapped by a decision loss to Ricky Simon. Although that was back in February, since then he's been dealing with injuries. Enrique Barzola is one and two in his last three. He's got losses to Kevin Aguilar. Then he beat Bobby Moffitt before losing to Movsar Evloev. So. Barzola seems to lean on his wrestling quite a bit, although, he, you know, he's got some kickboxing as well. Do you think he leans on his wrestling at all against somebody like Ronnie Aya, and do you think it's a good idea if he does? Dude, stay far, far away from Yaya. This guy, I just talked to him recently for Bloody Elbow, and you go back and look at his credentials. This dude's been grappling in high-level competition since the 90s. Like, I think people forget just how long Yaya's been grappling, and I really, really would not recommend Barzola get within 10 feet of a man. And, and I think, too, people forget, you know, you, you mentioned he's been he's been grappling at a high level. I mean, he won Abu Dhabi's back in 2007, mm. which is damn impressive in the first place. He's also got 20 MMA submissions, which to me is just one of the most insane things. And he's got them recently, too. Like I said, three-fight submission streak going into that decision loss to Ricky Simon, which includes, you know, like, heel-hooking Luke Sanders in... Uh, he arm triangle choked Matthew Lopez and like all against pretty decent guys too. And, and this is a guy who's been fighting high level competition since all the way back in WEC. Like he, he fought Joseph Benavidez. He fought Eddie Wineland. He fight, fought Kid Yamamoto in K1. Like he, he has fought a ton of good dudes. Chad Mendez, Mike Brown. Like his resume is as impressive as it gets. Now the question is, is with this layoff of over a year, do you worry at all about that? Not at all. If anything, I think like we saw with Benil Dariush, you're going to see a healthy Yanni. I think he's going to come in here and uh, be putting aside anything that might have been hindering him. You know, he he made no excuses for... I think he's probably going to come into this healthier than he's been in quite a few years. Beyond that, uh, these two actually used to be friends and training partners. Uh, I don't think there's any ill will towards either of them, but they know each other's skill set better than you and I can probably examine. So who knows what sort of work Barzola and Yaya did together in the, uh, you know, in this training room? Maybe their grappling is equivalent. Who knows? You know, some of these sometimes things don't translate uh, from the sparring sessions to the cage. I think. This fight's actually a bit of a disservice to Hani. I feel like he has fought and beaten enough high-level competition that he shouldn't have been regulated so far down from Ricky to Enrique. Uh, so I just don't see Barzola having a real shot in this. It seems like every time he stepped up and faced slightly higher competition, you mentioned likes of uh, Kevin Aguilar and Movzar, Evolov, he hasn't been able to make it work, and I think Yanni is just as tough, if not tougher, than those guys. All right, and then the real question is, do you see Yaya getting a submission here? 
Why not? Let's go for it. Yeah, I'm going to go with Hayabusa submission as well. I'm going to take him probably late in the fight, though. Late second, early third. Uh, and that brings us to our second fight of the second round, which is Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos versus Alexei Konchenko. Zaleski Dos Santos saw a seven-fight win streak snapped by getting TKO'd by Li Jingliang. Uh, Kachenko lost his first fight in his 21-fight career, although that was a decision to Gilbert Burns. Again, no shame in that either. Um, obviously, both of these guys just lost to very good fighters who are red hot. Which one alarms you more about the future of the fighter? Dude, this is good matchmaking. I saw this and I like I was so excited. I had no idea uh, which way it was gonna go. Who, you know what? I'd say considering Li Jingliang just came off that loss uh, on Saturday to Neil Magny, and the fact that Gilbert Burns on the same card is fighting Damian Maya. I think uh, if you're going off of just who they've lost to, I think Kuchenko's got a better case for losing the top flight competition, especially taking him to a 29-28 decision. Absolutely. And and here's the other interesting thing, too, right? Like, they are so different on the feet. Zaleski Dos Santos, crazy creative. He's got the capoeira style that he throws those kicks from. Lots of spinning shit. And then we got Kuchenko, who throws, like, a standard leaning forward 1-2. Do you see that that working against Zaleski Dos Santos, or do you see Zaleski Dos Santos kind of just dancing around him here? You know, I'm a believer that part of that loss to Li Jingliang came from Dos Santos being a little too wild. Like the the beauty in it, in that creative striking is it, it's really hard to predict. It's very explosive. It's very powerful, but it leaves you open. And I think Neil Magny showed in that fight that if you can stay calm under pressure, if you can stay on the forward foot. And if you can keep your combinations tight, Li Jingliang is going to have a tough time getting to you. So I would actually favor the more traditional striker in Alexei Kachenko. All right. So it sounds like we are four for four on the picks because I'm going to take Kachenko here too. How do you see him getting it done? Uh, I want a knockout. So let's say knockout. Yeah, I kind of want a knockout in this one too. And I think he can do it too. He's got some big, powerful hands and he's got some impressive knockouts on his record. Now that's going to do it for round number two. I'm going to take a quick break. Be right back with round number three. All right, guys, we talked about setting up our profile and logging our training sessions, but now I want to tell you about logging competitions. Look, I I personally love to compete. I compete all the time as much as I possibly can and as much as I can possibly afford. As you guys know, it can be expensive. But one of the things I get real bummed out about is I don't always remember how I did in this competition six months ago or that competition a year and a half ago. Plus, I don't remember where they were, how many matches I had, things like that. Maroon Social is the perfect solution to this problem because they have it all in one spot where you can log your competition. So if you want to ask me how I did at that New York Naga tournament last week, and you can ask me six months from now, I would know exactly how I did. I would know exactly how many submissions I got, what type of submissions I got and the like. So I highly suggest if you're somebody like me who likes to compete, downloading the Maroon Social app. Now, back for round number three. All right, we are back with round number three. We got three fights to talk about in this one, so it's going to be a little bit quicker. We're going to put five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Bruno Silva versus David Vorick. So Bruno Silva 0-1 in the UFC. He lost his debut to Khalid Taha. 
by arm triangle choke. That was up at Bantamweight. He's moving down to flyweight to fight debuting fighter David Dorick, who is 17-3. He last won at a, in a company called Octagon, which was in Prague, which I know almost nothing about. So what can you tell the fans, if anything, about David Dvorak? Uh, I can tell you a lot about David Dobrik, but I'm not too sure about David Dvorak. Uh, listen, man, if you don't know, it's gonna I'm gonna be hard pressed to beat you on this. What I will say, just kind of you know skimming through their records, is it's I think it's interesting to note that all of Silva's recorded losses have been via finish, and at least on the regional scene, David has been crushing people. So uh, I'm just gonna take a shot in the dark and say David Dobrik gets the finish here all right and i'm gonna go against you here i did get a chance to watch that fight in octagon 13 which is kind of crazy uh it is available on youtube if anybody is trying to do some film review i'm really not impressed by his takedowns i think they're they're kind of sloppy and they're they're from a real big distance and to me bruno silva that that seems like the only way you're gonna probably beat him right like that's how khalid taha did so as a result, I'm going to take Bruno Silva, and, and I actually think he could probably get him out here because I think his striking is that much better. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Mayra Bueno Silva versus Marina Moraz. Silva beat Jillian Robertson in her debut all the way back in September of 2018 and hasn't fought since. Uh, she's fighting Marina Moraz, who is 1-2 in her last three, although she is coming off of a win against Sabina Mazo. That was back in March of 2019, so... Let's talk about Silva's layoff. First of all, that was because of knee surgery, which she has taken a long time to recuperate. We talked about before the fact that we are more confident in Haniyeya because he took the appropriate amount of time to recover, as you know we said with Benil Dariush too. So do you think of the same thing here for Silva? And if so, how do you see her playing against Marina Moraz? It's a little bit tougher because, first of all, props – to a young fighter for understanding that their body needs to come first. Uh, that's something that a lot of people struggle with, whether or not they're professional athletes. Uh, the, the, the challenge here is Yaya and Daryush are both very, very seasoned veterans who found a lot of octagon success. And so I'm not quite sure how Silva has been circumnavigating the time off and, you know, doing what she can in the meantime. I, you know, Daryush and Yaya have proven track records that they can compete at a high level so i don't really know what the layoff's gonna do to silva i will say uh, i love anyone who's got a ninja choke on their record so <laughs> shout, shout out to silva however Moraz, very capable in the grappling department has never been finished and her only notable losses are to some pretty incredible talents angela hill who's on this incredible streak right now carla esparza former champion valerie letourneau i don't think Silva's got the grappling credentials to finish Miraz in this one. I agree with you, but I'm actually more interested to see in how Silva looks on the feet against Miraz, because mm-hmm. I know Miraz bills herself as a boxer, right? Like, that's what she has Bruce Buffer announce when she comes out. But at the same time, like, you know, like I actually see her as being a little bit better in the grappling department, or, or at least when she mixes and matches, right? Like, her grappling uh, aids her striking, and uh, I think if she's able to control somebody on the ground a little bit more, it does her service. Like, that's what, how she beat Sabina Mazo. So, like, I'm interested to see how Silva keeps it on the feet and is able to strike. It, it'll be really interesting to me. Um, sounds like you're leaning Miraz, though. Let's let's get an official prediction. How do you see this one going? Yeah, I'll go Miraz by decision. And I think it's even enough in the grappling department that Miraz probably has a slight advantage on the feet. 
All right, and I'm going to go with Mara uh, Buena Silva. I, I was a big fan and still am a big fan of Jillian Robertson in her grappling. So the fact that, you know, uh, Silva was able to to nullify that and win that fight, uh, you know, and, and she got a submission on, on Jillian Robertson, which is certainly mm-hmm. impressive. I'm going to take her here. I'm going to say she does it by decision, though. And that brings us to our last fight, which is a hell of a head scratcher, and that's Veronica Macedo versus Bay Malecki. Macedo lost three straight in the UFC and then somehow was given a fourth fight, which she won by armbar over a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. That's right, the striker with the armbar submission win over the black belt. And she fighting Bay Malecki, who most recently made her professional debut in the UFC by beating Duda Santana by rear naked choke. So uh, the the interesting thing about this one is obviously that one has almost no experience. One has been losing quite a bit lately. But the other thing is that Bay Malecki is coming down from 145 pounds and Macedo is coming up from 125 pounds. Huge size discrepancy, but also huge experience discrepancy. What do you see happening here? Man, who knows? Like you said, (laughs) this is such an obscure fight to make. Uh, I'm not mad at it. You know, I feel like you can always pepper in a little bit of a weird freak show fight and I'm into it. The size advantage is significant. I will say I don't know. Just like we said, you know, Malecki's only had one professional fight in the UFC nonetheless. I don't know how experienced she is to make the most out of that size advantage. Uh, If Macedo keeps it on the feet, obviously that's going to be hard for her being the smaller fighter. I don't know, man. I'll, I'll just take experience over this one, and I guess Macedo's going to win. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with you on Macedo here, too. In that fight for Bay Malecki, she just seemed too slow for somebody like Veronica Macedo, which worries me, uh, because she was too slow for Duda Santana, who is much slower, too. Uh, she sort of fell into a mount, which was one of the most bizarre <laughs> takedowns I've ever seen in my whole life. Uh, so, like, I don't see that that happening twice. With that being said, I do want to give her a little bit of credit, too, because she is training with Save Saud in, uh, at Fortis MMA, which always gives me a little bit of extra hope for fighters. And I guess if you're a 1-0 pro, you couldn't be in a better spot than, than being with Save Saad. So uh, I'll give her a little credit, but I'm going to go Macedo uh, by decision. How do you see it ending? I'll say Macedo by decision. Uh, it's going to be messy. It is definitely going to be messy, and I love it. Of course, this was not that messy. Nice and tight. 15 minutes, seven fights. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Got the breakdown you needed and are ready for these fights this weekend. I want to thank my co-host for today, Shaquille Majori, for joining me. You can follow him on Twitter at this is Shaq. Shaq, thanks so much for the time. I hey, appreciate you, man. Until next time.